God does reveal Himself to us in His Word, and so let us turn to the book of Genesis. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 29. We'll read all of chapter 29 and and most of chapter 30 as we look at Jacob's life. Remember, he met God in his vision last week, the vision of the staircase where the angels were ascending and descending. He saw the glory of God seated above the, the staircase and God, that God who is above all things, said, I will be with you. And it is there that we pick up today's story. Jacob wakes up. He is motivated for his journey. And we find from Genesis 29, beginning in verse 1, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We are from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, her sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the peoples of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and Jacob lay with her. Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also. 
in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one also. And she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have one. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She, came preg- she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. 
Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we have prayed today that you would give us your daily bread, our daily bread. And we remember the words of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he was tempted to turn the stones to bread after he had fasted for 40 days. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Today we have read and will learn from those words that have proceeded from you. So fill us with knowledge of you. Fill us with knowledge of where we need to mortify sin in our lives and pursue holiness because you are holy, because you have done the work to save us. Fill us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2006, Timothy Lane wrote a book called Relationships, a mess worth making. If you paid attention, if you followed along as we were reading, these relationships are a mess. I always found the title interesting, but the more I think about it, the more I realize that relationships are messy. Whether they're friendships or marriages, whether they're parent-child relationships, all relationships leave in their wake, oftentimes, wreckage and destruction. Why do you think that is? Well, the answer can be found in, a, in another book, a, a marriage book called When Sinners Say I Do. And the mess stems from the fact that sin messes up all relationships. Each and every one of us here, you, me, all of us are sinners, all of us are involved in relationships, and oftentimes our sinfulness leads to destruction and wreckage in those sinfulness, in those relationships. And so today we're going to look how Jacob and Laban and Leah and Rachel's self-reliance leads to emptiness and failure. We're going to see how faith can bring contentment and how even out of these messy relationships, God brings mercy and hope. First, self-reliance leads to emptiness and failure. Moses, as he records this for us, tells us that this account begins at a well. It's a very important detail for us not to gloss over. Because why is Jacob on his way to Haran? Why is Jacob looking for his uncle and his family? Why is he at a well? It's so that he can find a wife. And this detail is given to us to remind us of the last time somebody from Abraham's family, Abraham's household, traveled to Haran to find a wife. If we go back to Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is worried that Isaac does not have a wife and he does not want him to pick a wife from the peoples of the promised land. He wants him to pick a wife from the chosen family, if you will. And so he sends his servant, Abraham sends his servant with gold, with animals, with all kinds of riches and proof that God has blessed him. He sends this servant to Haran to find a wife. And the servant gets to the, maybe the same well in Haran and he sits down and he prays. The first thing he does, he says, God, give me success in this mission that my master has given me. And he puts out some conditions. He says, Lord, help these things to happen. Help the woman who I ask for water. Help her to be willing to water my flocks. Help her show her good character. 
through how she responds to my request for a drink of water. We find Jacob arriving at what I said may be that very same well. But there's some things he does not do that the servant did. We never once hear Jacob in this account cry out to God asking him for success in his mission. Remember, he has been sent away not only to protect him from Esau's anger, but he has been sent to this very place to find a bride, to find a wife that is not of the people of the Canaanites, that is a member of the chosen family, if you will. But he does not call upon God. What does he rely on? He relies upon his own strength. We have this rock that we're told takes many men to lift off the well. Rocks were placed over wells oftentimes during this period to keep animals and children and people from falling into them, to keep dirt out of the wells, to keep the water as clean as possible. And, and this rock would have weighed quite a bit. In fact, the three shepherds that are already there say they're waiting for more shepherds to arrive so that they can move the rock. Jacob doesn't even think about God in this. He sees Rachel coming with her sheep to the well. And he goes, man, she is beautiful. And he goes, and in an, in an effort to impress her, he moves the, the rock so that the flocks can be watered. And this leads him into all types of trouble. Instead of calling upon God, he relies upon his own wit, his own scheming to secure the wife that he has been sent to find. Laban comes to him and says, hey, should you work for me for free? And in the ancient Near East, the answer should have been, yes, I should work for you for free because I'm a family member. Just like your family members that live under your roof. You know, you, we don't oftentimes pay our kids for the chores that we ask to do. Sometimes we choose to give them allowance. But we're not obligated to. As family members, we should work for free. Jacob should have said, yes, you're giving me a roof over, your head, over my head. You're giving me food to eat. You're giving me training and being a shepherd. Absolutely, I should work for free for you. But in Laban, Jacob is going to meet his match. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But Jacob says, sure, I'll work for you for wages. I'll give you seven years labor if you'll let me marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, hey, it's, it's probably a good idea that I give my daughter to you instead of somebody else. Notice he says, my daughter. Or he says, her. He doesn't say Rachel. He just says her, implying a daughter. And that comes, and not getting full details hammered out, comes back to hurt Jacob later. So Jacob relies upon himself and he's swindled uh, by Laban. Jacob, the grasper, the one who has treated Esau by tricking him into selling his birthright and then tricking Isaac into getting the blessing. Jacob is tricked by a master swindler, a master con man. And in all of this, Jacob is relying upon himself to find the wife. Then Leah and Rachel, for a good number of the children that are born, begin to rely upon themselves. There's bickering between the two of them. Rachel is barren. We're told that God controls that. And Rachel seeks to take matters into her own hands, very much like Sarah and Abraham did back in chapter 16 of the book of Genesis. And Rachel gives her servant to Jacob. Leah says, well, if that's what you're going to do, I'm going to do the same thing. 
And so she gives her servant to Jacob. Then Reuben finds this plant out in the wheat field that was considered in the ancient Near East to be a, a plant that you could mash up and eat or turn into a tea that would bring fertility. And Rachel says, well, I'm going to follow superstition to uh, find all these things to make myself have a, uh, a son. And it just goes downhill from there. Rachel uh, sells her time with Jacob to Leah. Leah goes out to Jacob and says, look, I bought your evening tonight. I bought your bed tonight. So uh, you're mine. And all of this leads, if we were to look at the pictures of everybody in here, all of this emptiness, all of this failure just basically leads to everybody being turned into nothing but an animal. Jacob and Leah and Rachel are baby machines. Jacob is treated as a, forgive me, a stud here. Like you would turn the bull out in the pasture with the cows to raise a calf. Or the male sheep out into pasture with the ewe lambs to propagate your flock. That's basically what Jacob is turned into here as he has relied upon himself. He's, he has chased after his own pleasures. Folks, when we rely upon ourselves to get through in this world, when we seek after not God's glory, but our own pleasures, we degrade ourselves into animals. Laban is the one here who shows us how this works out. His daughter Leah, Leah means cow. Rachel means E-W-E, ooh, female sheep. And he treats them just like that. Laban is going to be very much enriched by Jacob. We're going to look at here in the next passage that we consider um, probably next week. Laban is enriched by Jacob. How did he get enriched by Jacob? He sold his daughters like a couple pieces of livestock. He treats Jacob like a slave. He treats Jacob and his daughters like animals. And as they pursue their own needs, their own wants, their own desires... They turn into nothing but animals. We live in a culture that pursues their own needs, their own wants, their own desires. And in many ways, the people in our culture that do not seek God's glory act like animals. So if self-reliance leads to emptiness and leads to failure, faith does bring contentment. Now, in the midst of all of this, just pursuit of desires, pursuit of self-reliance, there are two glimpses of glory in this. The first comes with the birth of Judah. The second comes with the birth of Joseph. Leah has had these first three sons. She's had uh, Reuben. She's had Simeon. She's had Levi. And with the first two of them, she says, it's because of the Lord's work. The Lord has seen my misery. The Lord has heard my cries. Remember, those are things that we've seen the Lord do through um, the life of Hagar. He saw her suffering in the desert. He heard her cries in the desert. Leah affirms that God has seen her and heard her. But she adds the stipulation to that. Now my husband will love me because I've borne him sons. The third son, Levi, she leads God out of the equation whatsoever. And she says... Um, now my husband will become attached to me because of my sons. But look what's different about Judah. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time 
I will praise the Lord. Period. This time I will be satisfied in all that God has given me. I, I'm remind, I was reminded as I was studying this of Paul's words in Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not a mantra that we say to help us win the football game or to get the job that we want or to, to win the, the, the other human being, the man or the woman that we're pursuing as a spouse or as a girlfriend. Paul starts that by saying, look, in my work for Jesus, I have had a lot. I have been well provided for. I have been well fed. And in my work for Jesus, I have had very little. I've been the richest of the rich. I've been the poorest of the poor. But I have learned through it all to be content. Because, as he says in 2 Corinthians, God's grace is sufficient for me. How is he content? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. She finds contentment when she says, the Lord has done this and I will praise him. Fast forward to the end of the chapter or the end of the account, excuse me, where Joseph is born. Rachel, with all of her scheming, with all of her desire for a child, she has put all the weight of her fulfillment in life in a child. When she finally has Joseph, look at what she says. She says, may the Lord add to me another son. She is saying, I have struggled. I have wrestled. I have tried so hard to find fulfillment in a child. I now have my child, but I find fulfillment in the Lord. Because he will be faithful to me in the future. He will give me another. We actually have the, the birth of Benjamin foreshadowed. And the interesting thing is she loses everything she strives for in the birth of Benjamin. Because she loses her life. But we know, we can see here, she says, the Lord has answered my prayers. The Lord has heard my cries. The Lord is the one who is faithful. And so interestingly enough, both wives find contentment and rest in the Lord. Jacob will find contentment and rest in the Lord. It will just take him another few years and wrestling with an angel, with the angel of the Lord as he re-enters the promised land. The reason a lot of times that relationships can be so messy is because we idolize them. Whether it's a marriage when we're looking for a spouse and we say, you know what, I want to get married because there's an emptiness in my life and this person can fill that emptiness. Or whether it's after we've been married and we want children. That person did not fulfill that emptiness, so maybe it's a child that I need to have to have that emptiness fulfilled. And so we have a child. And any time we seek to fill the emptiness in our lives with another person, it'll fail. And it'll lead to more emptiness. Friendships are not bad. Marriages are not bad. Relationships are good things. Remember, they are a mess worth making, Timothy Lane says. It is good to have a spouse. It is good to have friends. It is good to be placed in the family of a church. But none of you can fill the emptiness the whole, the longing, the desire that I have in my life. Only God can do that. 
When we seek our ultimate meaning and purpose and fulfillment in God, we can be content in the human relationships and interactions that He has given us. Even if, actually even when, they fall short of our expectations. Do you love God more than your spouse? Do you love God more than your best friend? Do you love God more than any other human interaction that you could ever have? Because if you don't, you'll just be left with emptiness. You'll be left unsatisfied. So we see that the pursuit of our own self-reliance, our own desires leads to emptiness and failure. We see that the love of God and faith in Him brings contentment. But we also see that mercy and hope That God brings mercy and hope through human failure. Joseph. We're going to come across Joseph again as we go through the account of the book of Genesis. In fact, Joseph will be the person, the family member that God uses to rescue the family of Jacob from famine. When Jacob gets back to the promised land, his family, his household is going to number roughly 70 And then a famine is going to hit. But one of those members, Joseph, is going to be taken to Egypt. And God is going to place him in Egypt for God to orchestrate through Joseph the preservation of Jacob and his family. Jacob will leave the promised land once again under God's blessing. And he will be well provided for, well respected, and he will bless the nation of Egypt. There will be hope for the people of Israel through Joseph. But we find mercy in Leah and the line of Judah. Judah is going to learn well from his father and his mother. He's going to be a hairy-legged sinner, as a friend of mine says. And we'll find this out through the, through the rest of the book of Genesis. But through Judah comes David. The king, the man after God's own heart. And through David comes the one who, as we read in our call to worship today, the son of man, the one who God raised up to sit at his right hand. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes through the line of Judah. We have been working since Genesis 3, looking for the seed of the woman that would crush the seed of the serpent. And we've been introduced to his ancestor today. The one who was born and Leah praised God. Do we praise God for the line of Judah? We should because our salvation comes through that line. Our hope comes through the ugliness, the filthiness, the messiness of relationships. God brings mercy and hope. So we've seen that failure and emptiness come through pursuit of desires and self-reliance. We see that faith brings contentment. And we see that God brings mercy and hope through human failure. Every relationship should have three people involved in it. Think of you and your best friend. Think of that one person that you rely upon as your confidant, as your encourager, as, your, as the one who lifts you up. 
you and that person are not alone in that relationship. You and your best friend are not alone. God is there as well. I remember I took a trip with my best friend when I was in college. We went back up to his hometown in Stanton, Virginia, and we spent some time up on Skyline Drive and in Washington, D.C. And I thought there was nothing that could ever come between me and Scott as best friends. And let me tell you, after a week of camping with Scott in a tent, in a two-person tent, we were ready to kill each other. It's because we failed each other miserably. Not only throughout that trip, but throughout our lives. And yet God could fill that failure with His love, with His faith, with His grace. He sustained that relationship even though we were ready to, to kill each other at the end of that trip for several years. He was the best man in his wedding. He was the best man in mine. We walked through some very difficult times together. Time and geography have, have drawn us apart, but there are times when we come back together and it's like we pick right back up where we left off. We couldn't do that without God because we would let each other down. But if we both rely upon God, we don't have to worry about the failures of our, of our human friends. We don't have to worry about the failures of our human spouses. We don't have to worry about the failures of our kids, even though most of us think our kids are perfect. They're not. Sorry, Gregory. But remember, God works through the imperfect faith of Leah and Rachel. God is working in you even when our friends, even when other humans fail us. God is working to draw us closer to himself. To himself. Remember, God brings mercy and hope through human failure. Let us pray. Our great God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder that when we